Welcome, everybody, to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. We have reached the last week of the season. What a roller coaster it's been. Um, I'm joined tonight by Steve Henson. Steve, I don't know the last time we had you on the podcast, maybe not since we've been doing this uh, consistently over the last two or three years, but uh, it's great to have you. Say hello to the people and, and introduce yourself a little bit. Hey, man. Good to be back. Um, you know, I was actually checking through the archives. I was wondering that, too. Uh, the last time we talked together was actually right before Josh Smith was waived. It was the episode the week of Josh Smith getting waived. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I think that that was a, a pretty negative podcast, uh, rightfully so. And we talked a lot about the direction of the team and uh, um, <laughs> and we uh, backed it pretty heavily. <laughs> Yeah, wow. That man, a lot of water has gone under the bridge uh, between then and now, to put it mildly. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. it's uh, good to be back. Um, so for for me, um, the, in case if uh, folks are listeners who don't uh, who don't read the blog much, um, I'm one of the managing managing editors along with uh, Sean Corp, and uh, been writing with uh, with DBB for quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, one of the veterans. You've been. I mean, I, I started reading the blog in like, man, 2007, 2008, um, almost a decade now. And you've been around just about as long. So we're two of the old guys who've been doing this a while. Pretty much, yeah. And I think we both started uh, posting with DBB about the same time. So, um, yeah. Yep. Well, it's good to have you. Um, the folks who've been listening all season have heard me say a lot about this team. Uh, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to torture everyone with more of my thoughts, but I, I really want to get some of your input. I've always appreciated your perspective. You've always got a balanced, well-thought-out take on the Pistons and, and even other teams in the league. So I really want to hear your perspective on some of these questions, and and I hope uh, I hope it's a great conversation. I'm sure it will be. So we'll kind of dive right into, I guess, maybe the one piece of news from the week that matters. The Pistons are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs Yay, I guess. We're out of our misery, so to speak. Um, any thoughts on the Pistons being done in these last handful of games not really mattering much? Yeah, when it came to the uh, playoffs, the it was going to be slim at best. So I really didn't have much in the way of hopes for them actually making the playoffs. Uh, it was more taking a look at the schedule that was remaining and uh, seeing a chance to do a little bit of damage before uh, getting out, maybe cracking 500. And so with the loss to the Grizzlies today, uh, their chances to hit 500 are now also gone. So um, it's it's been more of a matter of uh, – you know, this run might have saved Dan Van Gundy's job. And, uh, but um, outside of making the playoffs, that was really never going to be an option. I, I never thought for the Pistons. Yeah, I agree. It felt like uh, they were mathematically eliminated and it was like, well, they've been logically eliminated for a while. So it's really the only piece of news. It, di- it didn't really matter, but um, today a di- really disappointing loss to Memphis. It was really, a super high scoring game, not a lot of defense played. Um, but man, to lose to a bad team like Memphis and to have that game put 500 out of reach, just, it stings a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not hurting too much about it, but really kind of a, a bad loss. Two games left, one at home on one on the road, uh, Toronto at home. 
uh, final home game of the inaugural season at LCA, and then Chicago on the road to close out the season. What, if anything, are you looking for this week out of these last two games? Not much. Certainly um, looking at the young guys and seeing how they perform. <clears throat> I I don't think that we've really had much uh, told to us over this past stretch of uh, mostly tanking teams. Toronto's probably not going to be uh, going full steam since they've got their uh, number one seed in the East locked up, and Chicago certainly wants to lose. So, you know, certainly it's interesting to get a look at Henry Ellenson um, and uh, Luke Kennard getting a little bit more minutes. Stanley Johnson, can he close the season well, putting putting the ball in the hoop? But really, uh, these these next two games, I'm looking at with maybe maybe one eye toward them. It's uh, like even the loss against Memphis today. Um, it's one of those games that you know it's stinks to lose, but I mean I almost kind of find it comical because the reason they lost was because they were getting torched by a guy who's been playing in China for the past three years. You know. <laughs> But, yeah, they have the Pistons seem to have an uncanny way of of that guy just lighting you up. You know, whoever that guy is, it's fill in the blank guy you've never really heard of. Yeah, but I'm I'm curious with your thoughts. I mean, do the does losing to Memphis mean anything to you? Does any of these wins that they've been getting over Phoenix over uh, over these teams that are just wanting to lose do, do they mean anything to you? Do they tell you anything? Do you get anything out of it? The only game that I I can honestly say that I cared about was the game against Houston. Uh, that game was encouraging to me because it was really, if you look at that stretch of wins, it was obviously the only loss, but it was the only game against a team that really matters. I mean, you can sort of say Washington, but without John Wall, they're obviously not going to be at their best. Um, that game against Houston, though, that was that was one of those games where um, we saw the, the Pistons who really want to win show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that game stands out to me. The other thing that's interesting is, um, you know, how much of that streak um, was accomplished without Blake Griffin. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the teams are bad and not necessarily trying to win, it is nice to see um, a, a team capable of, of winning even without their, you know, their big new piece who presumably be the, the focal point of the offense or at least one of the focal points going into next season but the fact that they strung several wins together it doesn't really matter to me I mean it I don't think Stan Van Gundy's job is in jeopardy right now I personally think he's going to have next year to figure it all out um, you know there's been some talk about well maybe that run sort of saves his job I, I don't I don't know I'm not convinced it was an issue but it, it just it sort of feels like what the Pistons have managed to do multiple times over the last what is it nine years now or ten years since they've made the playoffs they managed to win a whole bunch of game at the end of the season. This year, it obviously doesn't affect the draft pick because we don't have it, but they, they keep doing that. Uh, and uh, it, it's just an interesting pattern. Probably doesn't mean anything, but it's interesting as a fan. Yeah, gotcha. And I'm pretty much on the same page as you. Yeah. Um, so this isn't really a end of season read cap podcast. We still got two games left. Um but we have you on the podcast right now, Stephen, and Laz and I are going to tackle some of the end-of-season recap stuff. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on the season as a whole. Um, you know, things like what were you happy with about the season? What surprised you and, and what disappointed you? What what stands out 80 games in uh, to this overall kind of disappointing season? 
Uh, you know, to start on the positive side, I think that there were a lot of really positive individual performances. I think we could just uh, run down the roster and see some bright spots. I mean, Ishmith, he put up some shooting percentages that uh, greatly eclipsed anything he's ever done before in his career. Um, you've got Andre Drummond and his uh, his free throw percentage increase, and also he was much, uh, much better, much more engaged on the defensive end this year. Reggie Bullock coming out of nowhere to be a solid starting caliber player. Um, Reggie Jackson, when he's healthy, he was – uh, he was a difference maker. Anthony Tolliver had a resurgence. I mean, there were so many individual performances over the course of the season that were a positive that it kind of leads me naturally into my negative side of it, that even with all of these strong performances, the, still, the Pistons still finished as a bottom 10 offense in the league. And after having so many years of executing his vision of what this offense looks like and getting some solid performance from some, some of his players, that's really concerning. Um, and, I, you know, I think that there is a way to squint and look at this thing next year, um, possibly being, being better, you know, and being a team that does win more games. But it's just one of those things that when you are getting solid performances from a lot of your players, but still being one of the least efficient offenses in the league, it's it's a it's a big red flag. Yeah, and that's an interesting point that I've kind of harped on, really for the last couple seasons. Um, obviously, there have been times, there have been stretches where this team just looks absolutely lost on defense. But when you look at the numbers as a whole, they've consistently been like a a top 10 or top third defensive team and consistently worse than that on offense. And that's a puzzler because I think part of it's related to pace um, and part of it's related to the interplay between offense and defense. Um, if your your offense is really bad, it puts a lot of pressure on your defense. So maybe that's why you look poor some games. But that's that's got to be the focus going into next season, right? I mean, you've got Blake Griffin, who's probably the most dynamic individual talent in, in more than a decade. I think that has to be the focus, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, And it, it will definitely be interesting um, getting – you know, if we can get a full season out of the trio together of Blake Griffin, Reggie Jackson, and Andre Drummond, there's a lot to like about the way those three pair up in that Blake and Reggie are both very dynamic uh, guys with the ball in their hand. And Andre Drummond is someone who is at his best when the ball isn't in his hand, um, but can do some things that not too many other people in the league can do. And so, um, you know, we've always talked about how Reggie Jackson and this offense needed a secondary ball handler. And could we get a better one than Blake Griffin at power forward? Um, it, there's, there's some thoughts that could look really interesting. It just, um, hopefully it can all come together. It's, uh, it's, uh, being optimistic, you know, being excessively optimistic at this point is, uh, is certainly not very likely. It's just a, a matter of it's you, we don't have to cross our eyes too hard to at least see it working. I think that's about the most optimistic Ben I can put on all that. Yeah, and it's not unreasonable, right? I mean, this is a team that's probably going to have – well, I shouldn't say probably going to have 40 wins because they might have 38. You just never know with this team. But – it's not hard to say that 
Reggie Jackson injury by itself keeps this team from being a 45 win team this year, which it's weird to think about given how disappointing things became after he got hurt. Uh, you know, and I've got my reservations about this core group of players, but I think you're right. It, if the guys stay healthy, I mean, 70 games out of Blake and 70 games out of Reggie when they're at or close to 100%. And then I think we've sort of taken Andre Drummond's durability for granted. He's been an incredibly durable, durable big man in a league where big men you know, seem to get hurt all the time. But if you get 70 games out of those three together, I think you have a winning basketball team because you've got a couple of young guys who can take steps forward, uh, and you've got guys like uh, Reggie Bullock coming back to, to provide spacing and, and, as you mentioned, starting caliber play. So, yeah, I think you're right. You don't have to squint too hard to, to see that as being realistic. Um, and you mentioned one thing there, that they're probably going to hit 40 wins next season. And uh, that's been one of those things I've been kind of chewing on, that it seems like we've seen the worst that this team can be the past two seasons, a 37-38 win team. If we lose these next two games, it'll be 30, 37 last year, 38 this year. And it probably can't get any worse than what we've seen the past two years, right? Surely they can put some Band-Aids on those, uh, on those um, huge leaks. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. The The piece that does have me worried a little bit, you mentioned Anthony Tolliver, and it's sort of, sort of a natural segue into what I want to talk about next. Um, the Pistons have most of their key guys coming back, at least for one more season. Um, Tolliver's the main one who is not guaranteed to be back. His deal expires at the end of the year. Um, we don't know what's going to happen um, with John Luer and his health situation, but He's currently locked up for, for next year and the season after. Um, thinking about the, the current core of players or the current roster of players, who do you envision as being the core outside of the obvious big three? Mm-hmm. Well, um, Luke Kennard, I think he's definitely done enough to establish himself as a rotation player next year. Reggie Bullock. Uh, coming back next year with a team option on a two and a half million dollar contract is uh, he was the best bargain in the league camp down this this year and to get him back next year is just uh, spectacular hopefully he can um, stay healthy for the full season too but even even if he does continue to struggle with some injuries that have plagued them in the past Kennard uh, with another year of development under his belt is a nice way of hedging that bet um Two of the folks that I'm kind of curious about are Ish Smith and Stanley Johnson. Uh, when it comes to selling on a young talent entering who came into the league after as a one and done, and uh, and being as young as Stanley Johnson still is, um, he is a guy who he struggles on the offensive end. He struggles to be efficient. A lot of what he needs to do to be efficient on the offensive side of the ball is not something that's necessarily going to come naturally to him. He does a lot of really other great things that, um, that make him valuable. I love his defensive intensity. His, uh, he's, he's improved as a ball handler and cutting down on the dumb turnovers this year. Um, but, for a team that just is consistently in the bottom five in uh, true shooting percentage, when you've got two big minute guys like Ish Smith and Stanley Johnson, um, are those guys that you can really keep as part of your core? I, and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's the right question, I think. Um, 
I've been hot and cold on Stanley Johnson, more cold than hot. And it's, it's not necessarily even about Stanley Johnson. It's about Stanley Johnson in the context of the team. And I think with the Blake Grip, Griffin addition, it, the most obvious thing in the world is to add shooting. Um, so the question to me is not, is Stanley Johnson an NBA caliber player? He is. His defense, his athleticism, um, he's he's going to be valuable to somebody. My question is, is he going to be valuable long-term to the Pistons? And, and that's the question I don't know the answer to. And Ish Smith as well. Um, I, I like him as a change of pace guy, but you're going to have to have enough shooting in that second unit to make it work. And we obviously don't know what that second unit is going to look like yet. And Ish might be a guy who has, has some trades value. So uh, he might be a piece that gets moved. Um, thinking then a little bit about next summer, I, I've always appreciated your analysis on free agency and the draft. Obviously, it's still early for both of those things. The season's not even over yet. Uh, but I do want to get your thoughts. What are you thinking about uh, this summer? Um, if not specific guys, specific draft picks or specific free agents, what sorts of moves um, do you want to see the Pistons make? What are the types of players you think they need to add uh, to get the most out of next season? Well, um, if uh, anyone who's followed me on Twitter this season knows that I'm a big Jalen Brunson uh, fan from the, the Villanova point guard, he's uh, he is, I, I think, I mean, I don't see what makes Trey uh, – what's his name, the Trey Young, a better uh, point guard prospect than, uh, than Jalen Brunson. I mean, you know, um, he seems to have every single thing that I look for out of a point guard prospect. Um, not super athletic, but he's able to make up for it and a lot of craftiness. And I've seen him just beat so many guys off the, with his first step that if he uh, falls to the second round, that'd just be uh, a huge deal. Um, it, the only reason would be because he's a third-year player who was incredibly efficient and uh, just very dynamic and uh, probably deserved to be the college basketball player of the year. So mm-hmm. big Jalen Runson fan. Um, outside of that, um, you know, the second round's always a crapshoot, so you, um, you never quite know who's going to land there. Um, Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Bauer have had a tendency of going with uh, more of the four-year player types and kind of lower upside, lower uh, floor type of players. And I don't know, that may be helpful, but I'm not sure that really does a ton to move the team forward next year. Um, I'm actually – I'm not really going to miss losing out on that first-round pick this year. Um, We've already got three young players who we're going to try having in the rotation next year in in terms of uh, Luke Kennard and Stanley Johnson, definitely, assuming they both return. But if Henry Ellenson is back uh, next year, being his third year, it seems like that's kind of the spot where if you're not putting him in the rotation, and what are you doing with them? And so if we add another rookie to that and we've got four guys in the rotation, um, if this were a rotation player, four guys in the rotation who are young, developing, uh, hot and cold type of guys, that's tough to be very reliable. So I'm not going to miss that first round pick. Um, Second round pick turns into anything. That's great. Looking at free agency, I've liked the way that Dan Van Gundy and Jeff Bauer whether they've overpaid to do this in a lot of ways, they tend to do a good job at taking a look at the um, at the roster and saying, 
here's a big hole that we have and identifying some really under the radar guys to uh, plug those holes. I mean, Eric Moreland, I know that not everybody is a huge uh, fan of him, but for him to come in as such a uh, out of nowhere type of player to still be, uh, he was, he wasn't, a, he wasn't the dumpster fire that we've seen with like, you know, the year we had Steve Blake and Spencer Dinwiddie running the backup point guard. So the biggest thing that, you know, uh, plug the holes, take care of any uh, rotation or lineup uh, issues, but scoring point guard. I mean, we can't, we cannot have another season where the third point guard, if it's Reggie Jackson and Ishmith, whoever's going to be looking at being that third point guard has got to be a guy who can create his own shot. Yeah, I agree. I think the failure to address um, point guard number three in a meaningful way after, well, not even after Langston Galloway, but the failure to do that hurt badly this year. Um, I don't know that there wasn't something they could have done better, but I think that has to be on the radar going into this summer. And obviously you're limited with what you can get in a third point guard. But yeah, I mean, that seems like an, an obvious an obvious hole. The prisons are going to have to do something about that. For sure. And and I think there are guys out there who um, who have been out roaming around, maybe like Marshawn Brooks has been doing in China, who, uh, but, but guys who are, who have been paying their dues for two or three years, maybe it's in the G League, maybe it's in Europe, who, uh, who have that scoring instinct, um, but that have not been able to latch on with a team, you know, like what Quinn Cook has done for uh, for the Golden State Warriors. I loved Quinn Cook up over the summer last year. He was uh, he had put two solid years in, in the G League, uh, just putting up some ridiculous numbers. Um, but he was a score first point guard coming out of the G League. Can you trust him? And so hopefully we can find a. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone as good as Quinn Cook. But someone is promising, someone who has that same type of um, um, background to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, thinking about the roster then that we currently have, we talked about some guys who are key guys moving forward. I think this team also has to think about who are at straight assets because you're at the point where you're you're capped out. uh, So that means you're – your ways of getting better realistically are the draft and trades with the outside shot of hitting it on something like the mid-level exception, which for the Pistons is going to be tough. We're just not going to be a destination people are seeking out at least this summer. Um, So what do you think on the current roster? Do the Pistons have assets? Are there guys on the roster that we would actually want to trade? And I'm going to rule out like Luke Kennard, for example, Mm -hmm. who's, probably not a guy we want to trade. Uh, but who do you see as the assets? Who are the guys that are movable that might have some interest from around the league? Yeah, you know, one of the things that Dan Van Gundy and Jeff Bauer have done such a great job at doing has been identifying those assets and turning um, four quarters into a dollar bill, uh, taking it so that those players may have a similar value from one team to the next, but turning it into a uh, more marquee player who has that, um, upgrade and talent. And so uh, that's a great question in terms of uh, looking at how they approach uh, moving forward. Ish Smith is the first guy who obviously jumps out that he 
has gotten some starting experience now, um, quite a bit. Well, and he had started for a garbage Philadelphia 76ers squad, but um, he's proven himself to be a reasonably decent quality point guard. And that always has value, especially since he's entering the final year of his deal. Um, outside of that, there's not a ton. I don't think the Pistons should even be considering trading away Reggie Bullock just because of what their uh, salary profile looks like, that he is one of the most valuable players on the roster. Um, John Luer is going to take a lot of work to rehab his value. And other than that, you're kind of looking at the guys who are considered part of the core in terms of movable parts. But I think, you know, um, Andre Drummond, he's, he's a guy who I have – Ever since, you know, the the whole post-up thing has uh, been a major part of his game, has, I don't know that you can continue to trust him. At some point, he's got to um, be at least movable. If you can find – if you think that you can trade Andre Drummond as part of a package that improves a position – Overall, that that's something that should be on the table, and this may be the offseason that Andre Drummond's the guy who deserves to be looked at as the Tobias Harris that you move to get a premium guy back, like Blake Griffin, um, like we did with Blake Griffin. Yeah, see, that's interesting because I have been, I've been saying and thinking since Blake Griffin was acquired that I would not be at all surprised to see Andre Drummond traded. Yeah. I don't. I don't have like a, a, a particular trade or set of trades in my head, um, you know, that necessarily work. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, as I want to see him traded. I like Andre Drummond. I think he's still improving. Uh, and I, I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet, but I, I think you're the only other person I've talked to who uh, thinks that could be possible. And I think it's on the table. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me to see something happen uh, with Andre Drummond. Let me ask you about two guys in particular that I'm curious about two guys that I like Anthony Tolliver and James Ennis. Do you think the Pistons ought to be retaining those two players if they can? I'll be very curious to see what type of contracts they get in, uh, out in the market. I mean, the last time the Pistons uh, parted ways with Anthony Tolliver, uh, the Kings went and paid him like $16 million or something like that and ended up, uh, waving him, um, you know, because they just had some buyer's remorse there. James Ennis, he's, He's interesting in that um, he was certainly another one of those bargain bargain guys. Um, and so if the price is right, absolutely. Uh, you know, the way that um, Reggie Bullock was a free agent last year and uh, didn't get any, any interest on the open market, came back to the Pistons for a song. And so if, if Anthony Tolliver is not getting um, $8 million a year, certainly bring him on back. Uh, if we could get him for two and a half million, four million a year, that'd be a, a great signing. But I'm not, I don't think that he would be worth paying anything beyond that just because, and then you are, um, we could be looking at a, another Langton Galloway type of situation really easily if we're paying him $6 million on a three year contract. And then it turns out that Henry Ellenson is ready to step into the rotation next year, the way Luke Kennard was and made Lansing Galloway irrelevant. Um, it just creates that much more sunk cost. So 
Uh, I've loved what the team has done in terms of identifying these bargain value contracts. And I think that that would be the priority over necessarily retaining two specific guys in Tolliver and Ennis. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the, the, the factor that I am thinking about is in the context of a team that's capped out. My question is, let's, let's say Henry Ellenson isn't quite mm-hmm. ready. What do you do if, if Luer never really makes it back to form and, and Ellison isn't quite ready the question starts to become, I think, not what what should this contract be for this particular player, but what would it cost to fill this gap and do we have the resources to do it? And in a team that's capped out and approaching the luxury tax before too long, you know, I start to wonder like, is it worth paying Anthony Tolliver a little bit more than you'd want to? And is it worth paying Ennis a little bit more than you want to? Because the alternative is who knows what, right? I mean, the alternative is trying to find somebody potentially on a vet minimum because you strike out with the mid-level exception. So I don't, I don't have an answer to the question I just asked. I just think it's a really interesting question um, because it's going to be a tricky summer. I mean, they certainly have to improve, but it's going to be hard to do that without a, without a pick and without a lot of cap room. And, if they strike out, things could get ugly quick. So I, I think guys like Ennis and Tolliver prove themselves to be capable rotation players. I think Ennis in particular, I, I really like. Um, he's a guy who the kind of the stat heads have been watching for a while, and I, I was super happy when we got him. Um, I, I think those are two of the kind of players that present this challenge. Like, do we have to pay these guys a little more than they're worth in a vacuum? Because our ability to replace them just is, isn't really there. Um, so that's, that's the kind of stuff they're going to have to navigate this summer. They will. And they, they definitely will. And I, I just, uh, I do think that there are a lot of guys uh, floating out underneath the radar where if, if someone is, if we get into a bidding war for a guy like uh, James Ennis or, or Tolliver that, I mean, we just played Dallas and they've, uh, They've got all of these power forwards that they've just <laughs> found out of nowhere that have just been kind of grinding away. You know, guys like uh, Jonathan Motley and Maxi Kleber, who uh, who are legitimately interesting um, guys who haven't gotten a chance anywhere else because of teams getting a little overly attached to an Anthony Tolliver or James Ennis, if you know what I mean. So, um, so I, I'd be more open to I. I'd, be perfectly good with taking a swing on some unproven guys who have the skill set that they're looking for, and if those guys uh, if those guys get out on the court and they're completely overmatched, you know you're starting out with a ten day contract on them. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not a it's it's a scratch off lottery ticket rather than you know uh, really putting all of our uh, all of our chips on the roulette table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. So the last question on the agenda was to talk about how good the Pistons could be. And I think we kind of already did that. So I'm going to ask you a question that uh, wasn't on the list. And it's it's about the NBA playoffs as a whole, not the Pistons. Who do you have coming out of the East? Who do you have coming out of the West? And who do you think the NBA champion is going to be? I think this is going to be a fascinating uh, playoffs this year. I mean, we're already seeing a terrific race going on over in the Western Conference. That is, that's the biggest thing to watch over this next week is who's going to land that last playoff spot. I mean, we've got like 
five teams, Utah, the Spurs, um, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Minnesota, and Denver, all competing. Any one of those teams could miss the playoffs or be a four seed. It's uh, it's ridiculous, and I love it. Um, in terms of – I think the – the most logical one to come out would be Houston on the West. You know, they've, they've been so dominant and uh, with Golden State, I mean, they may or may not be healthy uh, with um, Steph Curry out. It's it definitely, they've got a lot more question marks than Houston does, I think. So, I mean, I think uh, Houston is the, the favorite over there in the Eastern conference. I've learned my lesson about betting against LeBron James. <laughs> it's uh, it's they're so up and down, and their defense does stink. But I like a lot of the guys they have around uh, around LeBron James. I'm rooting for Toronto. I hope that they are the ones that emerge from it. But uh, I'm I'm certainly not going. If, if I'll I'll pick Toronto just because you know like I've I've been. Uh, been high on Toronto for years now, so it would be on brand for me to pick Toronto. But you know, in my head, I'm thinking that's a stupid pick. LeBron's totally going to win it and make you look stupid. So that's my uh, very transparent answer there. Yeah, the East. I, I kind of feel the same way. I I just don't see how I could possibly say LeBron isn't going to rise to the occasion. But at the same time, if there's any year where a LeBron-led Cavs don't do it. it. I think it has to be this mm-hmm. one. Um, it's unfortunate that Gordon Hayward got hurt, um, that Kyrie – is Kyrie still yeah. hurt? I mean, I, I'm not a Boston fan, obviously, as a Pistons fan, but uh, I would have liked to have seen anyone other than LeBron and the Cavs come out of the East. Yeah. Um, but I just – yeah, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't be betting on it. Uh, the West is super interesting to me, and the thing I was thinking about um, – just today, you mentioned the, the playoff race and um, Houston and Golden State being, you know, the sort of two obvious favorites. I think the NBA, at least for the, the context of the playoffs, ought to just do away with East and West and just have the, the top 16 teams play each other, however that shakes out. Because to me, assuming Golden State gets back to healthy, um, Golden State and Houston is, for all intents and purposes, the finals to me. I mean, those are very clearly the two best teams in the NBA. And I just think it's a bummer that uh, with those two don't get to play for the NBA championship. And that's a whole other conversation. But, man, it, to me, this year in particular, it just it seems like we ought to just do away with the whole conferences thing. I mean, if the NCAA can figure it out with however many 70 teams they have now, whatever it is, you'd think the NBA could figure it out with 16 um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think overall your analysis is pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, and uh, to um, to circle back on Kyrie Irving, he is out for the whole playoffs. So um, Austin, yeah. you know, oh, that's right, he just had to have under. I think I saw that yesterday. He had to go had surgery or something. Yeah, so that's certainly um, going to make things tough for tough for Boston over there. Yeah, well, Steve, it's great to have you on. Um, very prolific over on the blog. I've hardly written anything the past two seasons, but always appreciate reading uh, Steve's analysis. Steve, tell people where they can find you uh, on social media if they're not connected already. Good thing. Uh, Twitter, 
My handle is Shenan's8, or however you choose to pronounce my old uh, DVB handle. That's spelled S-H-I-N-O-N-S-8. Uh, but also, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, too, it's uh, S Henson, S-H-I-N-S-O-N-72. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm actually running the uh, Boston Marathon um, a week from when this drops. So uh, there should be some... If you're interested in running, especially seeing a one-legged runner, uh, that'll be me next week. So <laughs> feel free to uh, hit me up on Instagram too. Yeah, absolutely. Go check out Steve's journey. Um, super inspiring. I, I've run a couple half marathons, but it's been probably five or six years. And if it weren't for the Michigan weather being so terrible, I told Steve this a few weeks ago on Twitter, uh, he's inspired me to get back at it. So this summer I'm going to, I'm going to get out, get my fat butt out there and train for, at least a half marathon. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do a full one, let alone the Boston Marathon, which is a, a heck of an accomplishment. So congratulations there. Uh, but Steve, super inspiring to see your journey toward the Boston Marathon, man. It's a, it's a great accomplishment. I wish you well, and I, I know our listeners and community do as well. Thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. The penultimate um, episode of, of this Piston season. We'll be back next week and probably the the next couple weeks after that to kind of wrap up the piston season, uh, talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. And then as we get closer to the draft, um, we'll be having some, some of our draft experts on to uh, tell us what they think about who the pistons ought to be targeting. Unfortunately, with only our second round pick. Um, But again, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us throughout uh, the season. Uh, Feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Of course, leave a comment on the blog. Your feedback's important. And let us know if you have questions. What do you want to hear about this summer, uh, this spring and summer, as uh, the NBA season gets close to an end? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll talk to you next week.